Well, we are going to continue our series that we're calling Christianity's Greatest Questions. We're in week three, and basically we've been going through uh, big questions of the faith, and this is based on kind of the process I went through and going from someone who did not believe in God, was taught nothing about God, to being someone who is a sold-out follower of Christ. You know, how does that happen? For me, it was a bit of a process. It, it took a lot of things to happen, I was raised very much in a scientific atheistic worldview and it was something I completely believed and so I didn't just have to come to faith. I had to reorder the way that I saw the world and the way that I thought. And there were so many different assumptions and ways that I understood the world that had to be changed. And it was a difficult process for me. And uh, I think that it's a difficult process for a lot of people. So uh, this series, we're basically looking at some of those big questions of the faith. So it kind of takes more of an apologetics or defending the faith sort of a feel, but also from a, a personal perspective for me. So this week, we're going to talk about science versus religion. Some people have a bit of a a tension between faith and intellectual honesty. And so we're going to go through kind of the process that, that I experienced trying to get out of the framework I was in and learn how to walk by faith. So I do not believe that science and religion need to be in conflict with each other. I do not believe that. I think that they actually go together quite nicely. Let's read Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 16. We'll read 16 through 20. And uh, let's look at what the Bible has to say about this topic. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So here, the apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome, he's talking about walking by faith And then he's talking about people who aren't walking by faith. They're not trusting God. And he's saying that that we don't have an excuse because if we look at this world, if we look at what God has created, the universe, all the way from that huge scale down to the smallest scale, when we look at what God has made, we can see the power, the glory, the goodness of God. We can see his invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature. It says here, have been clearly seen by what has been made. We can look at the world and we can see that there is a designer, there is a creator, that there is uh, an intelligence behind the things that we can see. We see all of the, the symbiotic nature of the world. You know, just take animals and plants. Animals breathe out stuff that plants breathe in, and they breathe out the stuff that animals breathe in. And the animals eat the plants, and then they 
eliminate things that make the plants grow. And it just all works together. And that's super simplistic. This world is very complicated in the ways that things work together. And it just shows that there's a plan behind it. So I don't think science and faith are in conflict because science is in its essence is looking at the world to see what's going on. And if you look deeply, you'll see the power and the goodness of God. So there should be no conflict. Now, the thing that's surprising to me though, is before I became a Christian, I didn't see God in creation. Isn't that just bizarre? I remember looking at a huge oak tree and just thinking, wow, that thing is amazing. It's incredible that that just accidentally happened. What a wonderful, amazing thing this oak tree is. And now when I look back, I think, how could I have not seen that? And I, I, now I look at an oak tree and I'm like, wow, look at what God has done. Look at how God has put all of these resources on the planet for us to learn and grow. You know, I mean, a a tree does so many different things and, and, you know, from firewood to lumber to feeding people and animals and providing homes and shade. And then you've got, you've got the wood and everything, but then you've got all these other resources all the way down to oil and, and nuclear capabilities and all this stuff that God put here so that we could discover these things and that society could grow. And I just think it's amazing. But before I didn't see it. And so I know there are people that are willing to look at this world, but they don't see it. They don't grab hold of the truth of God. So it says in verse 20, that it's clearly seen by looking at creation. God's invisible qualities are clearly seen, but yet not everyone sees. Once you get it, it seems so obvious. But before you get it, I know from my experience, I didn't see it until later. So is that a contradiction in the scriptures? Last week, we talked about different things that can look like it's a contradiction, but it's not really a contradiction because it's looking at things from different angles. We talked about the two thieves on the cross with Jesus. And in the one case, it said they both heaped insults on him. And in the other gospel, it said that one heaped insults on him. And the other ones said, hey, you know, don't, don't insult this man. Uh, and he, he put his faith in Jesus. So which one was it? Well, clearly, at the beginning of the day, they spent about six hours together on the cross together, these, these three uh, individuals. And so at one point, probably the first part of the day, they were both heaping insults on Jesus. And then Jesus was talking to them and one of them turned and began to believe. And so he witnessed to them on the cross and one of them turned. And so they both were true just at different times of the day. And so I think it's clear that we can see the hand of God in creation But I think it's also clear that sometimes people don't see this. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 13 and tie a concept that Jesus talks about into the reality of the created world. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13. And the disciples ask Jesus a tremendously wonderful question. I remember the first time reading this verse and thinking, that's what I want to know. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, I'm a preacher guy. 
you know, and I understand that my purpose is to try to make the Bible clear and easy to understand. That's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And Jesus, the son of God, comes to this earth to spread the gospel, to tell the good news. And yet he speaks in riddles and in ways that are difficult for people to understand. And you think, why would you do that? Why not just tell them plainly and clearly so they'll have a better chance of grabbing hold of it? Why would you tell riddles? So they ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus gives a very interesting answer. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So Jesus spoke in parables so he could reveal the things of God to the people who were seeking God and who had a right heart and who wanted to know the things of God, but that those things would be hidden from people that didn't have faith in God and that had a a wrong heart towards God or whatever reason, there are people that are on the outside. And so God is revealing himself and hiding himself at the same time. That's why Jesus spoke in parables so that he could deal with us individually, not just as humanity as a whole. So sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. And I think the created world functions in very much the same way. When I was a a new Christian, I thought, Lord, why don't you just write it in the sky? Why don't you take the stars and rearrange them so it says Jesus is Lord? And each day you can change the language to a different language and then everyone will know. You can do that. That would be a lot easier than me trying to convince people because this isn't working very well. Why don't you just do that? Isn't that a good question? Well, the reason is because of what Jesus said here. We have to come to God by faith. And so that's why Jesus speaks in parables so that we can discover when our heart is right, we can grab hold of the truth. And I think the created world is the same way. We can look at it and see God, or we can look at it and not see God. But I believe just like now I look at the created world and I think, how could I have not seen? I think when people go to face God, and they haven't been believers, it's going to be one of those, like, how could I have not seen that? Because it is clear. It is clear. And I think the key here is a verse in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8. Let's look at this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What an incredible promise this is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So the key is to get your heart pure before God, not to have something that you're fighting for and uh, you're trying to defend your opinion or that sort of a thing. Just with a pure heart, seek God. Seek God by looking at the created world. Seek God by looking into the scriptures. Seek the Lord with a pure heart and you will see. Now, when I was a brand new believer, again, I came from a 
scientific, atheistic worldview. That's what I was taught. I bought it completely. I was 100% convinced. I thought of myself as more open-minded than I turned out to actually be because then when I was exposed to the things of God, I realized I had no framework for believing that this could possibly be true. So I thought, I need to prove the existence of God because Everybody that I know doesn't believe in God. And if I can prove it, then I'll be able to show them and they will come to know that God is real. So I thought I'm going to prove this. I was highly motivated because I didn't know how to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I thought I'm going to come up with a proof. So I developed five arguments for the existence of God. The truth is read the Bible and talk about that. But this, this is kind of fun too. So Five arguments for the existence of God. I studied philosophy, philosophy of religion, you know, epistemology, ontology, cosmology, all that stuff to try to figure out what's going on with God. How do we know what's happening? So here's my five arguments. They're, of course, influenced by things that are already out there. But the first one is the argument from time. And it's basically this, that on a timeline, you've got now and you've got the past and you've got the future. And it, the timeline goes infinitely into the past, infinitely into the future. However, if the timeline goes infinitely into the past, that means that an infinite amount of time will have to have already passed for us to get to now, which of course is impossible. So time must have begun. Because back when I was dealing with these things, there were three basic hypotheses about the universe. There was the static universe that it's been this way for forever. There was the oscillating universe, which is, you know, kind of big bang and collapse in and big bang again and collapse in, which is another version of a static universe, but something that's gone on for forever. And then there was the big bang theory, which was this began at a point in time and it's, that's just the beginning and, and that's the way that it is. And so there were those three and this argument from time is that this must have begun. Time must have started. It can't have always been. If time must have started, how does it start? How does time actually begin? Well, there has to be something, a reality way beyond what we can see if time is going to begin. Of course, now we have the Big Bang Theory. So science agrees that there must have been a beginning. There must have been a start. It's one of the great things that science now agrees with the Bible on that there was a moment of creation. Now I'm convinced that the big bang theory will be overturned in the future. And they'll realize that there was a whole nother reality that was there that our big bang came out of. So they'll find something beyond that. And because that's the reality of what's true is that there is God, there is the spirit world. There are all these other things and our universe is a small piece of actual reality. And they're actually getting very close to finding that. So anyway, the first one, the argument from time. I better get moving here. Second one, the argument from free will. One of the big things, the, the uh, existentialists will get upset with Christians because they think, well, I don't want to be bound by a God that controls everything. I want to be able to live my own life. And so I don't want to believe in God. I want to do my own thing. Well, let me tell you this. If there is no God and there is no spirit world, then everything here is just matter in motion. You are just matter in motion, completely 100% controlled by the laws of nature. 
You actually have no capacity to make any free choices. Your ability to choose is really an illusion. If there is no God, there is no spirit world because it's just matter in motion subject to natural law. So you cannot have free will if there is no spirit world. And I would say we do have free will. You can clearly see that. So there must be something about us that is outside of natural law. And that is the spirit that God has put in us. We have something about us that is not not of this world. And it allows us to override our natural inclinations. It is the spirit within us. So our ability just to make choices proves that there's more than just this world. Third one, the argument from human equality. If God made man, the human race, men and women in his image, then we are equal. One might be smarter than another. One might be stronger than another. One might be healthier than another, but we are equal from an evolutionary perspective. We're all on a different plane. One race can be less than another. One person can be less than another. But we can see, we can tell in our hearts that every human being has something about them. And that is the peace from God that's put in them. So I believe in human equality. And that's because God created us. That's argument number three. Argument number four and five, they're a little bit more fun. Argument four is the argument from consciousness. It's basically a form of the design argument, which is how does consciousness happen? You know what I mean? Like, what is it? I remember I was maybe seven or eight years old and I just thought, I'm here. How did that happen? Like, I get to be one of the people. That's amazing. I mean, there's billions of people on the planet. I'm not any of them. There have been billions of people. I wasn't any of them. I could not be here, but I get to be here. I am personally conscious. Isn't that amazing that we get to be here? How did that happen? And then, so that's a form of the design argument. And then the the last one was the kind of the science fiction argument, either God exists or he will. And this was back, of course, years ago, they were on the cusp of artificial intelligence, creating true consciousness in machines. And they just thought they were only a few years away from that. And of course it hasn't happened yet. And it's been, you know, 30 years since they said they are on the brink of it. But if there is no spiritual component to consciousness, if it's all just matter in motion, like we talked about in the free will argument, then you can make consciousness out of a machine. You can do that. And if you can do that, you can make a consciousness that can make itself smarter and then it will improve itself and it will get way beyond us and it won't have to die because it can, it's, can be electronic. It can harvest nuclear energy. It can do all that sort of a thing and it can become the greatest possible being. So either God exists And artificial intelligence will just mimic consciousness or God will exist because the greatest possible being will be able to be made and will self-actualize. So that's the science fiction one. That was once more, that was more fun than it is uh, actually helpful. But the problem is, is that I worked real hard on these arguments and that's not that bad, right? I mean, those aren't too bad. You know what happens when you go up to somebody and you're like, oh yeah, let me tell you, God is real. Let me give you my reasons. If they don't want to hear what you're saying, they just go, and then it's over. And it doesn't matter how good the argument it is. It doesn't matter how true it is. It doesn't matter because if they don't want to hear it, they don't have to. And so it hit a brick wall. And I thought, oh man, this is, this is not evangelizing Really, all it does is polarize. The people who already agree are like, yeah. And the people who don't agree are like, you're an idiot. And that's, that's what happened. 
And I thought, well, that's not, that's not working. I, I don't like that. It's too easy to be dismissed. And I was noticing that the, the scientific community that I knew and the faith community that I knew, they just didn't understand each other. They didn't respect each other and they dismissed each other. And I think that's a tragedy. I think we need to be the ones that lead with respect, that lead with love, that lead with understanding. Because why does a scientist who doesn't believe in God believe what they believe? Because they're really smart people that are looking at the evidence, but with particular assumptions. They're not fools. They're not to be dismissed. They're to be loved, cared about, prayed for, and we need to be the ones that initiate that. An example that I went to a, a conference by Kurt P. Wise. If you're interested in these sort of stuff, look up Kurt P. Wise, K-U-R-T. He's a PhD level paleontologist from Harvard who's a young age creationist. I went to one of his conferences in 2002. Um, it was a two-day conference. All he did was pace in the hotel room all night till the next day. It was ridiculous. Like, it was awesome. One of the things he talked about was the feeding of the 5,000. And... The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those situations where if God can do miracles, he can feed the 5,000, right? That's not that big of a deal. But if you were to, you know, you're in the back of the line and you finally get a piece of fish. If you were to rush that to the lab and ask them, how old is this piece of fish? What would they say? Well, they would say, well, you know, it's a yay thick and here's how big the things are. And it's this type of fish. So it's probably about a five-year-old, whatever. You say, did it ever swim? Well, of course it's fish, you know, and it's five-year-old piece of fish. It clearly swam. However, it's two minutes old because it was just created by God. And so something can look one way and be a different way depending on the assumptions. But it's not that the scientist would be a fool. They're smart people looking at the evidence with certain assumptions. So that's not something to disrespect. We need to reach out to that community with love and respect. Then I realized after trying to prove the existence of God and realizing that was a dead end, that instead what I needed was the room for rational faith in God. I couldn't prove this to somebody else, but I needed to make sure in order to be intellectually honest that God's existence was possible. And if God's existence was possible, I could have a rational faith in God. So science actually really helps with this a lot. The reality is in today's modern science, your classic, you know, mid 20th century atheist, XYZ axis and time, that's all there is. The observable universe is all there is. That is such an antiquated concept in modern science that nobody believes it at all. Again, we talked about the Big Bang, that this all started. Well, they're definitely trying to figure out, well, what started it then? That's definitely a real question. But dark matter, basically what they found out is that the universe should be just spreading out into nothingness, but there's all this gravity holding the galaxies together, and there's only about a fifth the matter there to be able to produce the gravity that is there. So they have this, there's this, all this matter, like five times more matter that exists, but we can't see than there is of matter that exists and we can see. So there's all this stuff that we can't see. It's amazing and incredible that science is noticing that there's all kinds of things beyond what we can see. And so we, where are the angels? Where are the demons? Where's the spirit world? We got plenty of room for that now. 
You go into string theory and, you know, like instead of going super, super big, we're going to go super, super small. And you get to the quarks and you blow them apart. And the idea is that they're little vibrating strings of energy. And the way that they vibrate is like different different notes on a guitar. They vibrate one way. It's this particle. They vibrate that way. It's that particle. It's all just energy in motion. And in order for that to work, you need like 10 dimensions. And so where is all this other stuff? Nobel prize winning physicists are saying we live in many more dimensions than what we can see. And so there is no reason to think there isn't room for God. Scientifically, there is a lots and lots of room for God. So I'm not going to go into huge detail with that. Then you got the multiverse, you know, multiverse is, is normal thinking now for a lot of scientists that this is one. It's not a universe. It's not a one verse It's a many verse. We only can see one of them, but there's all these other ones. You're telling me there's not room for God. There's absolutely room for God. Absolutely room for God. I could go into that for a long time, but I'm going to stop. The bottom line is that really, really smart people see way beyond three-dimensional atheism. There's plenty of room for rational faith in God. If you want more about this, I very much encourage you to check out Kurt P. Wise. He's got his testimony on YouTube. If you are an absolute science geek or you love to cry, you got to watch Kurt's. You got to watch his testimony because he was a man who got saved and he thought he had to give up science to be a Christian. And he was crushed because that's all You know what I mean? He's an absolute science geek. And he found that they work together instead of pulling apart. And it's, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful stuff. So check that out. If you, if this is something that, that is in your heart, you need to check that out. My problem was trying to fit Christian content into an atheistic way of thinking. You know, Christians walk by faith, not by sight. In science, you walk by sight, not by faith. And so I was trying to put Christianity into the theory and evidence world, but that's not how God works. Trust me is not science, but that's how God calls people into his kingdom. He says, come and trust me. I've looked into it. We don't have all the information we need to trust. We need to either deny or trust. Those are our options, but we can't prove God is revealing himself, but he's also hiding So we have to trust. If we could prove there would be no need for faith. Trust me is not science, but it's how God calls people into his family. Let's read Romans 1, 16 and 17 again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I hated reading that verse because I knew what I looked like to my friends. I looked like a fool, like a, I hated reading that verse. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel, but I didn't know how to share the things of God and not have people just get mad and think I was an idiot. Now I see there's a deeper thing there and we don't need to fear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, not by proof, not just by evidence. I believe in a rational faith, of course, but we need to walk by faith. That's how God calls us. Will you trust me? And we respond with, yes, I trust you. 
We've got a section of scripture I want to read and work through as we finish up here. And it's the story of Thomas. Thomas is someone, it's, he's a Bible character that I really relate to quite a bit. Um, my middle name is Thomas. My dad's first name was Thomas. My wife's maiden name is Thomas. I got Thomas all over the place. I don't know if that's prophetic or what, you know, all this doubting going on. But that name Thomas is everywhere in my life. And I see the individual, the disciple named Thomas and what he went through. And I connected with Thomas in a very, very strong way. And so I want to read this section of scripture. We pick it up on the evening of of resurrection day. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again. The tomb is empty. And that night the disciples are getting together. Judas is gone, but Thomas, for whatever reason was not there either. So let's pick this up in that situation on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So Jesus is revealing himself to them. He shows the wounds that he has and he shows that he's alive. He's coming through the wall and you know, the, the, all these miracles are happening and they're just astonished. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. I am sending you. So Jesus came to this earth to bring glory to God and to spread the gospel. And he's saying to his disciples, you go do that too. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Very interesting verse, but we're going to set that aside and keep going with the story. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas wasn't there. The other 10, again, Judas is out of the picture now. The other 10 are telling Thomas, Jesus came into the room. He was there. We saw his hands and his side. He, he gave us his peace and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And they're telling him this story. All 10 of them are telling the same story. And how does Thomas respond? But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas is saying, look, that's, that's just too much. That's too far. How is that even possible? I can't believe that. Of course, Thomas's heart is broken because of the, the crucifixion and death of Christ. And so there's emotions in there besides just understanding. But what is Thomas doing? He is denying the resurrected Christ to 10 of the 12 disciples. Is this a serious infraction in the Christian world? A very serious infraction. Let's keep reading. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. This part, this verse is one of the most important verses in this whole section. Thomas didn't believe all 10 of them. He refused to believe them. He didn't believe in the resurrected Christ. He refused to acknowledge that that was possible. Was he kicked out of the group? He's still one of us. I think the other 10 were like, Thomas, you'll figure it out. You'll see. We weren't so sure ourselves, but God showed up 
You'll see. I don't think they were threatened. They didn't kick him out of the, the group. The fellowship was not broken. The next week, a whole week later, they're in the house. Thomas is there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus made a special effort to connect with Thomas. I know Jesus made a special effort to connect with me. And I believe our God will make a special effort to connect with you. If you will seek him with a pure heart. If you will just open your heart to God, he will meet you. This time, Thomas's response, verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is, I've never heard anybody make this case, but this is what I believe. I believe Thomas was given an opportunity that the other 10 were not given. I believe Thomas was in a a strong place in his walk with God. And God thought, I'm going to give him a chance to not see and believe, to receive an extra blessing. And so Thomas is not there. Jesus could have shown up when Thomas was there. Why did he show up when he wasn't there? Thomas had the opportunity to believe on the testimony of his friends, but instead he did not believe. And Jesus comes, shows himself to him. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So my question to you is, do you want a blessing today? There is a blessing in just trusting God. We don't always have the information, but there is a blessing in just trusting God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for what you did for Thomas. That even though he doubted, he wasn't rejected by his friends and he wasn't rejected by you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Father, for all of us, it's not just about trusting you as Lord and Savior that that we need to walk by faith. But there's so many different parts of living this life that is walking by faith. Should we make this decision or that? What should we do? Lord, we need to walk by faith. So I pray by your spirit, you would show us. What are the ways that that we're doubting and not walking by faith where we just need to trust you? Lord, by your spirit, show us those things in our lives individually. And Lord, we say we trust you. You know better. We know you will come through. So we trust you. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to see this world through eyes of faith and help us to see people the way that you see them. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.